Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts. Today on Parts Per Billion, we're going to learn a new vocabulary term. It's fence line communities. And that's what we call neighborhoods near the fences of big factories that spew out a lot of pollution. Is the EPA looking out for these communities? We take a look. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. You know, in real estate, they say location, location, location. If you live near a zoo, you might hear some animals. If you live near the docks, you might smell some fish. And if you live near a giant chemical factory, unfortunately, you're going to be exposed to chemicals. That's the situation for a handful of communities in the Gulf Coast that's earned the nickname Cancer Alley. It's called that because it's a heavily industrialized part of the country, loaded with petroleum refineries and chemical manufacturers, and the folks who live there have noticeably higher rates of cancer. Now, the EPA regulates chemicals, but before it can do that, it has to look at how risky they are. But risky to who? Does EPA only look at average people's exposure or the average resident in Cancer Alley? That's what we're going to be talking about today with Pat Rizzuto, a Bloomberg Law reporter who covers chemical regulation. She explained exactly why Cancer Alley earned its nickname. Yeah, I, I can't say I'd want to be known as living in Cancer Alley, but uh, it used to be called Louisiana's Petrochemical Corridor. It's, it's an area of about 85 to 100 miles along the Mississippi from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. And there are a lot, an awful lot of oil refineries there and chemical plants. Then in the mid-80s, some of the residents began to notice that they had an awful lot of cancers there. And so, hence the moniker. Louisiana has a high cancer rate to begin with. And there are mixed studies on um how much higher this rate is in this cancer corridor. But um, some research from Tulane Law School looked at it and found that the risk these people face is definitely higher, that 
on average nationwide, people are exposed to about seven pounds of toxic air pollutants per year. But in Cancer Alley, it's 60 pounds per person. That's pretty stark. And I mean, that echoes a lot of what you have done in, in your reporting recently uh, with, um, you know, looking at, at the amount of chemicals that, that the people who live there are exposed to. Um, where specifically are these chemicals coming from? You mentioned chemical plants, petrochemical plants, but let's get a more, little bit more specific. Uh, what types of, of uh, plants are, are these chemicals coming from? What products are they making and what are those products used for? Well, the chemicals that my article focused on were about 15 chemicals. They included a fragrance, some flame retardants, solvents, um, and chemicals that are used to make plastics. So it's um, you know chemicals that are make the kinds of things that we use every single day. Right. Now let's get to this the really interesting part of the part that I found really fascinating, which is what is the EPA doing about this? Um, I get the sense that when the EPA looks at, um, you know, whether a chemical is safe to be used in, uh, in society, I guess, they don't necessarily look at the people who will be exposed to the most amount of the chemical. They look at, you know, the average person. Is that right? Well, let's take it one step back. Um, in 2016, Congress did something pretty profound. It totally overhauled the nation's primary commercial chemicals law. Yeah. And it told EPA for the first time ever in its history that it must look at the risks posed by chemicals that are made in the U.S., that are used in the U.S. Um, and it told EPA that it had to consider the risks chemicals pose to susceptible and highly exposed populations. But then I guess the question is, what do those two words mean? You know, who defines that? So for the first batch of 10 chemicals, um, there wasn't a lot of time for anybody to prepare information to persuade EPA one way or the other. But EPA is now into its second batch of 20 chemicals. And so when last year it flagged that it was going to be looking at 20 chemicals, a coalition of environmental groups focused primarily in Louisiana, but also in Texas, you know, came together and they did this amazingly rich package of data using EPA's own databases to show the agency that they have much, much higher exposures than the average U.S. resident would. Um, for example, one, one statistic that hit me, the folks living in the highly industrialized Gulf region of Louisiana and Texas get more than one half of all releases nationwide for three of the 20 chemicals that EPA is looking at. That's amazing. 73.6% uh, of the nation's releases of another chemical that's used to make synthetic rubber are in this region. So they, they really made their case using EPA's own data. And we should say this is a pretty small area that I saw that in your story, too. And that really, really stood out to me, just the, the disproportionate levels here. And of course, people with means don't tend to live right near these factories. You know, people with means can afford to live elsewhere. 
So it tends to be people who are poor, who have a hard time accessing public health um, care to begin with, that are in these regions that are the most highly exposed. We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll talk about whether a future EPA administration will change the way it evaluates chemical risks or whether it even can. Stay tuned. We're talking today with Pat Rizzuto, a chemicals reporter with Bloomberg Law. She says the environmental activists who are asking the EPA to change its chemical risk evaluations took an interesting look at the agency's own pollution data. about the package that they put together is that any individual plant might be complying with all of its requirements. It could be, you know, meeting what EPA and the state have told it it must do. It's just the concentration of all the chemical and petrochemical and oil refineries down there that is the issue. It's it's the the volume of exposures. And is that something the EPA looks at, the cumulative effects of, of all of these plants that are clustered in one area or or not? Well, these groups are certainly saying the agency must. Um, and what happened was the first time uh, as it was preparing its plans, the draft plans didn't have any statements about EPA planning to look at any particular group. It would quote the the law's requirements that we might look at this and might look at these, and then these are examples. You know, workers are an example of people. Pregnant women are an example of people. But it, it didn't have any specifics for any of the 20 chemicals. So then I looked at the um, 20 final risk plans. The only major change is that EPA said it might look at the risks fence line communities face. That's the buzzword for people who live right sure. alongside these industrial plants, but it didn't promise to do that. So still not a, not a big commitment there. And there's no commitment. Despite all the information in the Environmental Justice Coalition's package, it never promised. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's the next step here? Um, you know, we, the EPA is going to sort of, I'm assuming, move to the next stage of evaluating these 20 chemicals. Uh, is there a chance they might change their mind? Uh, or is there, let me rephrase that, is there an opportunity for the EPA to change its mind? Uh, or is it locked in here, even if uh, next year we have a new uh, administration, a new EPA administrator with some different priorities? Is this locked in? Well, EPA left the door open. It said it might look at it. So, you know, it left the door open. And so basically all will be determined by EPA, no matter who the administrator is. Um, This EPA could decide there's enough information to look at fence line communities. This EPA could do that. Or if the uh, administration changes, in that case, I think it's highly likely that that administration would, simply because there was such a strong push from the Democrats during the rewrite of the chemicals law to push for highly exposed and susceptible people to be to have their risks looked at. That's really interesting. So this is uh, yet another area of environmental policy where the outcome of this November's election could have a really big impact. Um, yes, actually, I think there are quite a few issues 
that are playing out in courts, um, and depending on how they're resolved, the EPA could have a do-over on a lot of its risk assessment work so far. Now, that doesn't depend on the administration. That just depends on the court. Sure. So, you know, it's got the potential for a do-over depending on how the courts rule, and then it's got a potential for a do-over if a new administration comes in. That's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check out our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergenvironment.com. And by the way, if you're interested in this big election thing we have coming up in a few weeks, definitely check out our sister podcast, Down Ballot Counts. It's looking at the races for Congress and state legislatures this year, and it comes out every Monday. Definitely strong recommend there. Today's episode of Parts for Billing was produced by myself and Josh Block. Special assistance came today from Anna Yukonanoff. Parts for Billing was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. The music for today's episode is A Message by Jazar and Dragon Tattoo by Tom Hillock and Nicholas Boscovich. They were used under a Creative Commons license. See you next week. Hi, I'm Laura Carlson, and I'm dropping into your feed to tell you about Prognosis, a new daily show from Bloomberg. Monday through Friday, we'll spend a few minutes with you every afternoon to help you understand life in the time of COVID-19. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So come back every afternoon for our coverage and stay safe. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.